Hey everyone, welcome back to Adherent Apologetics. As always, we're brought to you by you with your support on patreon.com slash Adherent Apologetics. Today, I am joined by the amazing Dr. Clay Jones. Uh, he wrote a book on the problem of evil. He's also written on the question of the fear of death and things along these lines. Uh, but Dr. Clay Jones, welcome to Adherent Apologetics. How are you doing over in Southern California? Well, glad to be with you, Zach. Thank you for having me. Yeah, of course. I'm really looking forward to talking to you. I think that if someone wants to look at the problem of evil and understand it, you're one of the people to turn to, one of the top people to just talk to today. So I'm really looking forward to just discussing this problem of evil. We'll be looking at different components of it. Uh, but just to start off, if people don't know like who you are, could you talk a little bit about like who you are and what you do? Well, uh, I growing up, my father was an atheist. Well, he would have said he was all really determined agnostic. My mother was an astrologer and together we attended the United Methodist Church. Uh, so in other words, I didn't start off life in a Christian family. My father became a Christian when I was 11 or 12. And the difference was dramatic because he was a womanizing, hard drinking, gambling guy. Uh, the difference, they didn't spend a lot of time with a family and the difference was dramatic. My mother soon gave up her uh, astrology and other things. And I don't mean by astrology that she looked, read her, her horoscopes in the newspaper. She had charts and graphs and was into various things, occultish, and took me to a Buddhist temple. I became a Christian two days before I turned 13. And I think I was became very interested in truth claims right away. Mm -hmm. uh, because what's true, my dad thought my mom, everything my mom was into was nonsense. And my mom is, you know, running to these things, looking for some solace, I think because of my dad's bad behavior. And uh, I, you know, I mean, I was kind of, so when I became a Christian, I thought, well, what's true, what's not true. So I got into apologetics right away and, mm -hmm. and, uh, was a pastor in a couple of large churches and on the pastoral staff, I should say of a couple of large churches. And, and then for the last, uh, 17 years, I've been at, at Tal Talbot school of theology. Uh, and, uh, I'm presently a visiting scholar at Talbot school of theology for their master of arts and Christian apologetics program. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, thank you a little bit for sharing. I'm curious, you've done a lot of work in the part of evil. You're telling me you've done, like, I believe, like 70 podcasts, interviews, things like that, just since March. Um, so the problem of evil is definitely something you speak a lot about, you write about. What got you interested in, like, the problem of evil and just understanding this in the first place? When I was a, that's a great question. When I was a young pastor uh, and, of at a big church, uh, I began to, the Lord began to reveal to me the glory that awaits us in heaven forever. And as he did that, I became overwhelmed, fascinated by it. It was life-changing to really think about what it means for us to be Christians, that we Christians are more than just forgiven sinners. That's when people go, well, I'm just a forgiven sinner. No, that's not correct. Mm -hmm. uh, you are born again. You are filled with the Holy Spirit. You are, you know, an heir to the kingdom of heaven. You're going to live forever and ever and ever. Uh, you're not just a sinner saved by grace. You are that, surely, but but it's so much more. Yeah. So I began to understand the glory that God had for our eternity. And I taught on that more than any other subject. That was my favorite subject to research and teach on. Uh, and this was like 1982. Uh, and then after a few years, I thought, well, I've seen where we're going. We're going, you know, with the glorious thing that God's doing for our eternity I now need to look at where we've come from. It just seemed to be the natural thing. Where did we come from? What is the, the, the non-Christian state without God? So I began to study human evil. And, and for about 15 years, I read books on genocide and mass murder. Uh, and just studying the nature of humankind without God. 
And, and it's bleak uh, is the mm-hmm. short answer. It's very bleak because humans without God, they're just simply not good. And, mm-hmm. and I just posted on that, by the way, clayjones.net. So there's a little commercial. But um, uh, as I understood the horror of human sinfulness, and as I began to better understand the glory that God was bringing us into, uh, and, and I realize some people are going to find this kind of surprising, almost unbelievable, but the problem of evil largely just went away. I just didn't see the problem of evil being that big a problem anymore. Uh, because and, and D. Martin Lloyd-Jones, famous preacher, uh, expositor in Westminster, London, uh, he put it this way. He says, most of our, the Christian's problems are due to a double failure. We fail on the one end to understand the depth of our sinfulness, and we fail on the other to understand the wonder, the glory of what he has for us forever. I think that's right. And like I say, when I understood those two things, began to really comprehend the depths of human sinfulness, and then the glory that awaits us in heaven forever, uh, the problem of evil just got really small to me. I didn't, I just didn't see much of a problem. And anyway, then one day somebody said, why don't you write a book? And I thought, well, yes, well, I'd like to do that. And, hmm. and uh, so anyway, so I have, and so I wrote a book on why does God allow evil? And now I've written a book just recently, just came out a few months ago entitled uh, Immortal, How the Fear of Death Drives Us and What We Can Do About It. And the next book I'd like to write is on suffering. So I've written a book on evil suffering and death. Uh, so there you go. But, and, and I think these, you know, people go, wow, this must be really hard. No, it's exciting. You know, we're dealing with the core of what's going on in the world. I don't, and I don't find what's happening in the world mysterious. Most Christians do, <coughs> excuse me, or at least many Christians do, but I don't find it mysterious because I understand what God's doing in the universe. Mm. Yeah, thank you. Um, I'd encourage everyone, the link to clayjones.net is down below, so you can check out his blog and his resources. So much great content there. And if you're listening via YouTube, I apologize for my side, just completely blacking out here every once in a while. Something's wrong with my light. It's the first time this has ever happened. So hopefully we can hang on here. Uh, but with the problem of evil, I think it would just be great to start with just like the origin of evil and like the natural realm. Uh, so when you look at like the origin of like natural evil, like what do you see as the origin of natural evil in the world? Well, the the origin of natural evil is also the the origin for planet Earth anyway, and for us humans is the origin of moral evil, and that is God told Adam and Eve not that they could eat freely from any tree in the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it, you will surely die, uh, and so. Adam and Eve, though, thought they knew better. They thought that God was holding them back from something that might otherwise benefit them. And they ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil anyway. Uh, and uh, then God cursed the planet, cursed earth. He, you know, cursed is the ground, the Lord says. If you read Genesis 3, cursed is the ground because of you. In other words, God cursed planet earth. Uh, what, what pestilence, what disease, what COVID, for that matter, what cancer, what you know, flood, hurricane, tsunami cannot have ensued from God looking at planet Earth and saying, I curse you. And so uh, that's the origin of natural evil. And then he kicked Adam and Eve out of the of the Garden of Eden, and that removed them from the rejuvenating power of the tree of life. And we've been attending funerals ever since. Mm-hmm. And it's really not any more complex than that. You know, I mean, God cursed the ground. Removed us from the rejuvenating power of the tree of life, and and now we are all suffering from all of these things. Now, some natural evils, of course, are caused directly by humans today. Uh, you have arsonists, you know, I mean, lighting fires and stuff, but that's moral evil and uh, natural evil. Maybe I don't know the truth of this. I don't get into that, but I mean, 
uh, apparently people could have done things sooner on this whole COVID thing. Uh, and that fostered natural evil being even worse than it might've been otherwise. So, so anyway, those are the kinds of things uh, that's the origin of natural evil. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm curious, just kind of like a follow up on this topic is uh, maybe like the idea of like evil before the fall, so to speak. Like, obviously if there's a skeptic here listening to this, they'll probably assume that, you know, you have the earth being, Billion, or not the earth, the universe being billions of years old, and you have lots of um, time before the fall where there's all this suffering and death. So, I mean, I don't I ask you to take a stand on that whole important debate regarding Genesis, but like with the idea of like evil before the fall, do you think there's like a possibility in this? And like, how do we reconcile well, this? Like, we know there was evil before the fall. Uh, I don't know what how it all worked exactly because the scripture doesn't tell us, but we know that, that uh, Satan uh, was wandering around on planet earth and so that can't have been good for the planet to say the least Uh, about animal pain about animals eating other animals it's not clear to me uh that that's uh a moral that's necessarily an evil it's it's certainly bad but it's not clear to me that that's necessarily some sort of moral evil um i if there was no animal death before the fall if there was no death at all before the fall, it'd be hard for me to understand what God meant when, or what, to, what, how Adam and Eve would understand the Lord saying to them, "On the day that you eat of it, you will surely die." If they'd never seen anything die, mm-hmm. uh, so anyway, it's not a hundred percent clear to me that that animal death is necessarily evil. Jesus ate fish after he was resurrected. Uh, I, I think it's it's helpful to point out. So Jesus was not a vegetarian. Uh, and even at, in his post-resurrection body, he ate fish. And so I think that that's, you know, it, 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 what does that mean for forever or, or all the way in the past? I don't know. Uh, but uh, I don't think it's a problem. Uh, Bill William Dembski came, said that God had to allow evil prior to the fall because he knew humans were going to fall. And so he needed to allow these things to occur. That's his answer. Uh, but anyway, I, I don't get too excited about it either way. But mm. people can come to their own conclusions. Yeah, there's definitely a lot of literature out there on all kinds of variety of the varieties of the problem of evil, whether it's pre-fall or post-fall, um, all kinds of stuff. But for you in the beginning, when you're talking about like the origins of like natural evil and such a big thing you pointed to is like as the fall um, just being like the start of it in a sense. And yeah. It explains a lot of the suffering and pain we see today. Uh, so could you just elaborate a little bit on like how does sin impact natural evil and just kind of like dealing through suffering well, and such now? As I said, you know, I mean, for instance, I don't know whether this is true or not, so please don't send me any hate email or whatever. Uh, But, you know, I mean, uh, it's possible, like I say, when it comes to COVID, that people did not do what they should have done, that people knew certain things and could have taken corrective action and they didn't do those things. Uh, So I think that's, you know, I mean, that's so you have moral evil, human moral evil impacting natural evils. And like I say, people are starting fires and things like that. So it's, you know, I mean, these are pretty, can be pretty closely related, but all natural evil is one way or another, uh, the result of human, of human evil or satanic evil. All natural evil uh, is the result either from uh, angelic evil, like from Satan and his minions or from human evil one way or another, if, if nothing else uh, from Adam and Eve and their sin enabling, and then God cursing the ground. And saying, if you're going to go and rebel against me, I don't feel obligated to give you a garden to live in. Mm. 
So I think an important question here is to wonder, like, um, what's the purpose behind evil? Like, it's a very, like, big question, and there's a lot of different, like, theodicies there in a sense, and a lot of people have wondered, like, why uh, allow evil? Like, do you think that maybe, like, there's a purpose beyond just kind of, like, the consequences for the fall in terms sure. of, like, evil in the world? Like, what, what, what more is there to, like, why there's evil in the world if you think there is stuff? For, for me, the really big picture is because God wanted to reveal to, to humans and angels, to all of creation, the horror of rebellion against him. Mm -hmm. uh, that's what he's doing is he's reviewing, revealing the horror of rebellion against him. That's an eternally valuable lesson. We need to see, see what you and, well, when Adam and Eve ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they plunged us, their descendants, into a lifelong education of good and evil. So we're learning here that evil is horrific, that humans can be very, very, very sinful. Uh, we're learning that God is good and we're learning, we are learning here to overcome evil with good. But to me, the, if you were going to say, what's the, the number one reason of all is because God wants us to realize the horror, uh, the heartache of rebellion against him, that he knows better than that he's good. And I'll tell you, if you're not going to believe him, if you're going to think I know better than God, there's no better way for the Lord to show you that you're wrong than simply to say, okay, well, knock yourselves out. And sometimes parents will do that with their kids when the kids keep insisting, no, I want to do it, I want to do it, I want to do it. Now, if it's not too harmful, the parents, you know, sometimes the parent will go, okay, knock yourselves out, see how that works out for you. And uh, I think that we humans have decided to go our own way. And the Lord said, okay, uh, go for it. And I would remind everybody that, that and this is Christianity, this isn't just Christianity 100, this is Christianity 60. This is dumbbell Christianity. Dumbbell Christianity is your death on planet Earth is not the end of your existence. And I think that people go, well, it's just so unfair. The people are dying young. Remember, and this, I, I don't know of any Christian theologians that think otherwise, evangelical anyway. Uh, liberals different, of course, but evangelical theologians, conservative theologians mm -hmm. that don't that think that your death is the end of your existence. The Bible teaches that when you die, you're going to enter another realm. Uh, you're going to enter the eternal realm. And then in time will come the judgment. and But so we need to get, that helps us, this eternal perspective to realize that when people go, well, it's not fair that a child would die. Well, remember, if a child dies, their existence doesn't cease. They go on living in the next realm. And so uh, anyway, so that I think it's the things that I just said, especially God's teaching us the horror of rebellion, which is eternally valuable knowledge. Mm. Yeah, definitely. I think that... Um what you said, just our sinfulness really is a just it's a great explanation for why there is evil. But I'm curious, um, there's different theodicies in different branches out there. C.S. Lewis talking about like a soul making theology almost like pain yeah, and suffering sure. can bring us closer to God. Do you think other things like maybe soul making can be possible, like maybe partial explanations for like I do. I, I think that God is making souls. It's called the soul making theodicy. Uh that God is he's He's developing stuff in his creatures. He's teaching us the stupidity of sin here, teaching us to do the right thing. So surely we are learning that. I think at the judgment, we're going to learn even more. Uh, so, and I, you know, so soul building is part of it. I, for me, the biggest thing is the Lord wanted, uh, well, I, a free will theodicy is what I emphasize probably the most. So, like I say, soul building is a part of it, but the, the Lord wanted to create creatures with free will. And here's a key question. How does he keep 
then we'll probably get into it later, but how does he give creatures free will and not, and, and not, and allow them to have free will in eternity, but where they won't sin. But we can talk about that a little later, but I, I just, you know, so anyway, and I, I think that's, I think that's definitely there too. Uh, so free will and soul making is part of it. I sometimes have called it knowledge building, uh, a knowledge building theodicy. I don't know that anybody else has ever used that term, but me, but that's okay. Um, and by that, I mean, God is building in us the knowledge of the stupidity of rebellion against him. Uh, he's building us, again, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He's building knowledge into us. Uh, and the judgment's going to be even a further education of the knowledge of what we're going to learn about humankind. Mm, yeah, thank you. Um, I do want to say we will be doing questions at the end. I saw your question, Ryan, so you're all good. Um, but let's talk about free will because I think you, you brought this up and it's it's a really important concept in like understanding uh, just like evil and such. So like, could you talk a little bit about like what free will is and like why would it matter? What what roles does this play in like the idea of like the problem of evil? Free will is the ability to do other than you do. Mm -hmm. uh, free will is the ability to do otherwise. It's a key word. It's the ability to do otherwise. So whatever you do, you didn't have to do that. Uh, and by the way, uh, and this is as logical as, you, as it gets, you cannot give a creature free will and not allow them to use their free will wrongly. If you don't allow them to use their free will wrongly, you haven't given them free will. A father can't tell his daughter that she can go out on a date with a punk down the street and then not allow her to, you know, and then chain her to a heavy kitchen appliance. Yeah, That's not giving her the free will to go out on a date with a punk down the street. Even if he's giving her permission, it, he hasn't given him her free actual free will. And, and for the Lord to give us free will, then he has to allow us to use it wrongly. Yeah. Otherwise, again, he hasn't given us free will. And one of the things that I emphasize, too, is that natural laws must work in regular ways if our actions are going to mean anything. And by that, I mean, uh, you know, I mean, you could set God could have arranged the world where Billy's cutting his steak with a steak knife next to his little brother, Bobby. And all of a sudden he takes a steak knife and he jams it into body, Bobby's side and God turns the knife into blade into rubber. The whole family could laugh. Uh, God could make a world like that if he wanted to. He could suspend the laws of nature every time anybody tried to hurt anyone. But that's not a real world. That's a cartoon world. That's a wild E. Coyote roadrunner world. And the Lord's interested in, in this world, the world we really live in, not the cartoon world. Our actions have significance. And we need to realize that our actions have significance. And uh, I, I just can't emphasize the importance enough of this. That this is hugely important for us. And so anyway, uh, that's, you know, that's some of the keys. Uh, if we're going to have free will, natural laws have to work in regular ways. If our, again, if our actions are going to mean anything. And in my book, by the way, Why Does God Allow Evil? I go through a lot of free will movies and uh, just to show the kinds of, you know, every free, every free will, every movie, I should say science fiction movies, every sci science fiction movies are often on free will. In every science fiction movie I've ever seen, and I've been saying this to audiences for a long time, and nobody's ever come up with a counterexample, has concluded that free will is valuable regardless of how much suffering ensues. And, and I think that's interesting because I think that tells us a lot about what's going on here, that free will is just simply very valuable.
Mm. Yeah, I think it's Alvin Plantinga who championed the free will defense yes. to the problem of evil, which is right. really important and kind of dismissing the logical problem of evil, which maybe we'll talk about later. Um, one kind of counterpoint that I, I see a lot to this idea, like that free will is something that has a lot of value and like a theodicy and trying to like understand why God would allow evil is what about people who would never have the chance to exercise free will? Take, for example, a baby who would die when they're a few months old or someone who's maybe mentally Handy, handicapped and can't process things the way um, most people can. Like for people like that, they seem to still be facing the consequences of sin and death, but they don't get the free will. So how do we look at that? Like from your perspective? Well, right. Again, Christianity 60 is that it's not the end of their existence. They're going to continue on. I, uh, with most, most evangelical theologians and from what I can see, most evangelical apologists, William Lane Craig, Norman Geisler, Greg Kochel, and a host of others uh, agree that children are saved. And that includes the mentally handicapped. Uh, you know, the mentally, I don't know what the correct word for it is now, but anyway, the, the, the mentally challenged, you know, I mean, that includes them, that they're going to be saved. I certainly take that position too. And so it's not a. It's not like they're going to just be ushered off into hell. That would be incredibly bizarre, um, because we're going to be judged by our deeds. And and babies and little children really haven't got any deeds to be judged by. Yeah. Uh, and so I think the children are saved. And so I don't. I don't think that's you know a huge problem. Jesus said, you know, blessed bless the little children and let them come unto me, for of such belongs the kingdom of heaven. And we like to ask the question, if little children aren't in the kingdom of heaven, in what sense does the kingdom of heaven belong to little children? Uh, I think that, you know, that's kind of a bizarre thing. Now, one other thing, it is true that there is no verse in the Bible that says it guarantees that children will be saved. But the Lord would have, I think, very good reason not to guarantee that, because if he did guarantee that, it would change parenting. I think that if he guaranteed that, let's say, children were saved, I would just throw out a number until they're 10, guaranteed salvation or 12, whatever you want to make it. Uh, that would change parenting radically because uh, I would, I think a lot of parents would want their children to die at 10, 11 or whatever before they got to the age of accountability because then they'd be guaranteed an entrance into the kingdom of heaven. Well, I mean, abortion then would be doing people a favor. It'd be hard to argue against abortion if you, you know, if you knew for a fact that all these people were guaranteed uh, entrance into the kingdom of heaven. Now, I think they are. But it, the scripture doesn't unambiguously teach that. And as I said, I think the Lord has good reason to not make that perfectly clear because it would change the way we parent. I think it would change a lot in the world that, that he just doesn't want to change. Mm. So I think one question I've seen this come up from like skeptics that I know is if people who are maybe not at some sort of like age, obviously there's not like a concrete age like you're talking about, but like people who are babies, young, um, you don't have really the chance to either accept or deny Christ or the mentally handicapped if they are going to get to go to heaven, like, what about us? Why, why should we like, it seems kind of unfair that they get a free pass almost to speak in heaven. I think they would argue when we have to still choose and we could risk denying Christ um, with regards to like the idea of like salvation. Well, you know, I, you could look at it that way, I suppose. I, I, I am thankful to have to go through the suffering and to deal with it because this is eternally valuable knowledge. Uh, I think it's eternally valuable that we are learning these lessons. I think this is awesome. 
Mm -hmm. uh, I, I told, said to my wife just recently, now I've been a Christian for 51 years. And, mm -hmm. and as I told you, I became a Christian two days before I turned 13. So now you, everybody knows that I'm in my forties, but, uh, the thirties right? is even better. That's right. Uh, but I, I, uh, I'm glad I told her just recently, I'm thankful to God for all the years that I've had to live because I've become a better person. I've become more holy. I've learned a lot more. I've had the chance to help more people. So I do not feel cheated in any way, shape or form because I'm learning the knowledge of good and evil as you are and as everyone else is. And as I said, this is eternally valuable knowledge. Uh, so I, I don't, I don't mind. I, I'm thankful. I don't know how many more years the Lord has for me. My dad lived to be a hundred. Uh, I don't have any idea how long I'm going to live, but my dad lived to be a hundred. But I, I, uh, uh, all I can say is, is that uh, I'm glad for all this knowledge. I do not feel cheated that I didn't get to die young. Yeah. Well, I mean, you're 35 now, so that's, that's right. 55 years at least. That's a lot more books that are coming out. So a lot of books. To that. Um, what, off, one last thing in kind of like this topic is let's say like the skeptic, um, maybe they'll say like, I'm an atheist uh, <clears throat> now just and I like denied Christ because I just I don't believe Christianity is true. Wouldn't it be better than because like if Christianity is true, I'm going to probably go to hell um, regardless of like what that entails. Like, wouldn't it be better if God just took my life when I was young because then I would like be in heaven anyways? Well, it, yeah, it would probably be better for them if they're going to rebel against Christ. It would be better for them if God took their life young, if children are saved. Like I said, I think the scripture it inclines us that way. It doesn't guarantee it. But if children, yeah, it would be better for them. But the Lord has decided to allow Christians or to allow all people or most people, not all, obviously, mm -hmm. to allow many people, most people to reach adulthood. And they're going to make their own decisions. And you have a decision there uh, on what you're going to do. You know, atheists, will, you know, I speak at a lot of conferences and atheists will come up to me and they'll go, God shouldn't, you know, created us at all. If he's going to, you know, if we're going to go to hell. And because hell's a terrible thing and how unfair it is for him to do that. And I always look at the atheists. I go, you know what? You don't have to go there. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't seem to provide them much comfort, but they're all upset about hell, but they don't want to accept the alternative. And they are going to be judged justly based on that because the answer is they could go to heaven. They could, they don't have to go to hell. You can live forever and ever and ever in Jesus, or you can be punished eternally. Uh, one or the other, but it's up to you. Uh, so I, I, anyway, I don't, I don't have any compassion. Well, I, I care for them as people. I want them to do well, but I don't have compassion for that comment. Uh, well, you know, God shouldn't have created us if He's yeah. gonna, if it's possible we could go to hell. I'm like, well, don't go there if you don't like it. Don't go there. Mm -hmm. And uh, but it shows their hard heartedness that they're like, no, I'm not. You know, can't. Mm -hmm. I'm gonna do my own thing. So whatever. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it's um, Dr. William Lane Craig who has a really interesting um, kind of response to this question uh, that I, I just brought to you because he comes from like a Molinist perspective and he believes that uh, every person who um, dies before they'd have a chance to either freely choose or deny Christ is someone who would have freely chosen, um, which is an interesting kind of thing to throw into there. Um, so I think the next kind of question I want to look at is why couldn't God just create like a perfect world now? Um, this can be, it's a question thrown by skeptics a lot. Like, why wouldn't you have perfect creatures or maybe God creates a world without sin, a world where we would freely choose not to sin. Um, maybe well, something along those, which is, he, did, yeah, kind he, of, he yeah. did create a world without sin and where there was no problems. And, you know, as I like to point out to everybody, you know, all Adam and Eve had to do all day long was garden and play with creations, only physically perfect and completely naked member of the opposite sex. Life wasn't so bad. 
Uh, you know, I mean, he did create a perfect world. We messed it up. Uh, he created it with the Garden of Eden. Things are good. We messed it up. And so I don't, anyway, I, 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 to me, that, that's the answer to that. Why, you know, if God, God can't, we can't have a perfect world right now if it's going to be inhabited with people who've chosen to rebel against God. Mm-hmm. How would you have a perfect world? Because you have it full of people, uh, not the least of which call themselves atheists, who are in rebellion against God. How could, he, how could God have a perfect world for us? I think part of the thing is, is people, what people are saying is, is that, well, he should give us a garden to live in even though we hate his guts. And that's just dumb. Uh, that's dumb. Uh, you know, I mean, when a ch- teenagers in rebellion against their parents, uh, you know, their parents tend not to make their lives easy. Uh, and, uh, you know, I mean, hey, Dad, can I borrow the car? No, uh-uh. not as long as you're in overt rebellion against me. Well, uh, rebelling against God that has resulted in all of the deaths and murders that we see going on in the world, I mean, uh, he has no obligation to give us a road gar- rose garden. And I'll tell you something, by the way, every ge- genocide is caused by humans. Mm-hmm. God doesn't cause genocide. And I've spent f- at least 15 years studying genocide. I still read books on genocide to this day. Uh, genocide is, is what humans do. It's not God doesn't do genocide. Humans do genocide. And this is God allowing them to exercise their free will in a very terrible way. Mm. Um, another thing I want to throw at you now is something that I've seen in a lot of debates regarding the problem of evil from like an atheist side. And I believe it, it's the philosopher. I believe his name is William Rowe. His, Rose, his, def, his, name is def, his last name is definitely Rowe. And he brings up this analogy of there being a fawn in the middle of the forest, right. and the forest fire and the fawn suffers and dies. It seems like there's no good that comes from that evil. Um, and the conclusion kind of is that there's no all loving God. That would exist, right. or this is more consistent with atheism, which we'll talk about in a minute. Um, but like, how would you respond to an analogy like that, which says no all-loving God would allow maybe some sort of like innocent or innocent animal suffering, um, just with no seeming purpose coming from it? Yeah, that's a great question, and it's one that I've been asked a lot, and it's one of my favorite questions to ever yeah. be asked. I love that question. What <laughs> uh, I the reason I like it is one of the first things I say, and it also applies to small children, right? Mm-hmm. Why did God let six-year-old Kaylee die of leukemia? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I mean, kind of what's the point? I don't see the point. Uh, why did God let this fawn die in the forest? Uh, when it come, Let me start off with Kaylee, and then I'll go to the fawn. Uh, why did God let six-year-old Kaylee die of leukemia? When somebody Because no, nobody ever asks why God lets children die, because the question almost answers itself. Mm-hmm. Um, but people will ask specifically, why does God let a particular child die at a particular time? And I'll say, it's one, well, it's not just Kaylee, right? You don't think any child should die of cancer, do you? 100% of the time, try this, those of you that are watching this, try this on when somebody asks you that. 100% of the time, the people will say, no, of course, other children shouldn't die of cancer either. And I'll say, well, it's not just cancer, right? You don't think children should die of other diseases, do you? Of course not, 100% of the time. I mean, 100. Of course, God shouldn't let children die of other diseases. And I'll say, well, you don't think they should be murdered or raped, do you? Of course, children shouldn't. God should never let children be murdered or raped. You don't think they ought to be. Do you think God should let them get maimed in automobile accidents or injured in other ways? Of course, God should. 100% of the time, of course, God shouldn't allow that. Finally, I'll say, so to what age do you think children should be indestructible? At that, most people laugh because they realize that the idea of an indestructible child is just ludicrous. I mean, how would God do that? 
you know, I mean, could you imagine having an indestructible two-year-old? Now, I, I oppose all forms of child abuse. Just let me go on record here. Mm-hmm. But if you had an indestructible two-year-old, uh, you could throw that two-year-old to come across the room and he's coming back at you uh, because he's indestructible and you're not. So he's coming back at you. Um, uh, and so uh, I, I think the answer would be, I talk a lot about this in my book, Why Does God Allow Evil? I think the answer, some of the people say, well, God should do what millions of miracles or providences every single day so that children don't get harmed. How does God do that? without making his presence so obvious that, I mean, that people realize there's something about the universe where children can't come to harm. How does God do that? How does God stop all parents from ever driving drunk? How does God stop all parents from using their cell phones, talking on their cell phones while they're driving and injuring their children? How does he do that? And really, they have no idea. Mm. Uh, And so, uh, you know, I mean, like I said, I talk a lot about this in my book, Why Does God Allow Evil?, but if you begin to pull it apart, it doesn't make any sense. Now, to the fawn in the forest, my if uh, Roe had asked me that question directly, I'd say, well, it's not just not, same thing again. It's not just that fawn, right, William? Uh, you don't think that God or you don't think God should let any other fawns be burned either, right? And he, of course, he'd go no. And I'd say, well, and what about adult deers? You don't think they should be burned, do you? Oh, no, sure they don't. What about field mice? Is it okay for them to be burned? No, of course, God shouldn't let them. Lizards? No, no. Well, what? how does God do that in a world where natural laws work in regular ways? How does God do that? When a, when a man lights a forest, sets a forest ablaze, does God just put like this you know, supernatural covering over every animal. I mean, you could take this, you know, absurdum, you know, where we, we talk about, um, um, oh, all of a sudden, uh, well, anyway, it ends with that absurdum, um, you know, I mean, where you take it to absurdity, you know, I mean, where does, how does God do that without making his presence just unmistakably known all the time and by constantly interrupting the laws of nature? He, he can't. Simply, he just simply can't do that. And lots of times people go, well, I don't know. I'm not God. Well, then, you know, I mean, maybe there's no way of doing it. And one of the questions, by the way, I always ask, I like to ask skeptics, atheists, whatever, is I'll say, you know, uh, um, what, how does, uh, you know, when it comes to all of this, uh, again, how does God either eliminate evil or greatly reduce the amount of evil in the world uh, and, uh not, but not take away free will. Because if you take away free will, I can eliminate or greatly reduce the amount of evil in the world. But how does he do that without taking away free will? And this actually makes people really angry. Uh, I've had skeptics get really upset with me. I've even had some students get bugged at me over this, um, you know, because oh, I don't know, I'm not God. Well, maybe there isn't a way. Mm. Maybe there's no way. And the only way we're really going to learn these things is through experience. And now I understand experience is a tough teacher boy, but Boy, does it teach. So anyway, uh, that's my answer to Roe and others that would ask that. I mean, because when somebody asks about a particular example, just say it's not because it's not about one example. I mean, you have to be pretty stupid. Somebody have to. Well, no, I only care about why God let Kaylee die of cancer. I don't care why he lets other kids die of cancer. You'd have to be one one selfish person to say that. Uh, and, and nobody would, of course. So anyway, I, that's my answer to the Roe thing.
Yeah, thank you. I think a lot of philosophers, especially like atheists, have moved away from like a logical problem of evil yeah. where they'll say that like suffering is just completely incompatible with an all-loving God. And I think more of turned to like an evidential problem, which we'll talk about uh, here. I'll, I'll just kind of frame it for a second is the idea that let's just say there's these two hypotheses. We have uh, theism on the one hand where there's this all-loving, all-powerful, all-knowing God that exists. Um, and atheism, on the other hand, where there is no God, nothing like God, if we're taking like a more technical philosophical definition. Um, and it seemed like suffering and death and things that are totally compatible with athe atheism, but not with theism. Um, it's kind of, I think, the assumption that would be made there. So how would you kind of respond to like a more evidential form of the problem? Well, you know, I mean, my answer to that is I've been sort of outlining it already. Uh, what if God wants to teach free creatures the horror of rebellion against him? Well, he needs to have a tremendous amount allow us to do evil and to experience evil and to experience suffering and death so that we go, you know what? Rebellion against God was really a bad thing. Uh, and, and that's the gist of my answer. I, I obviously, you know, I wrote a 272-page book on the subject. Uh, well, on the problem of evil. I mean, obviously, there's a lot more to say, but that's the gist of my answer is how does God teach us the horror of rebellion without, without us actually experiencing the consequences of rebellion? And people will, like I say, they'll go, I don't know, I'm not God. Well, this is about the evidential problem of evil. What's the, how does God uh, move, get rid of the tremendous amount of evil that we're experiencing without taking away our free will? And so the answer then very simply to those who say, well, you know, I mean, but there's a lot of God's allowing all this evil. And so it doesn't really make sense. Well, it makes perfect sense to me why God would allow evil. Adam and Eve ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And they plunged as their descendants into a lifelong education of good and evil. The Lord warned, the Lord warned clearly on the day that you eat of it, you will surely die. We didn't believe him and we decided to eat of it anyway. And here we are. Uh, and so I, I, anyway, that's, that's my short answer to, you know, the evidential problem of evil. We need to know these things. It's eternally valuable information. Yeah. Thank you. Um, so one last kind of question I have for you, and then we'll throw it to questions or super chats or anything like that. There's a bunch of questions I saw, so we'll hopefully get through as many as we can, even if someone's a Tottenham fan. I don't know if you follow the English Premier League at all, Dr. Jones. A, a what fan? A Tottenham fan from the English Premier League? Are, are you a no. soccer fan at all? <laughs> no, 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 I'm not. If you ever become a soccer fan, just don't be a Tottenham fan. Please. There you go. Well, let's stop, take that under advisement. <laughs> um, so the last thing I want to talk about is the emotional problem with evil. A lot of people, I mean, it's inevitable through life. We're going to have like people we know pass away or things happen to us personally where we question like how could a loving God allow this this event to happen to me. So if you were going to like to counsel someone on like, well, this is kind of like why God would allow this kind of like a summary here, but like speaking on a more emotional level, like how right. do we answer the problem of evil in a, on a person to person, like conversation basis? Well, that, that's a very important question. And I always tell everybody, if somebody has lost a child or has lost a loved one, uh, the, what you don't want to do is sit down and explain the, God's larger plan in the universe and say, let me explain why God allows evil and suffering. You, you don't want to do that. Instead, the scripture says to weep with those who weep. Uh, those who have just uh, suffered a significant loss need someone to be there for them and need them someone there to love them. That's what they need them to do. Uh, and so uh, that's what we do first. There does come a time 
often when somebody wants to understand God's larger plan after they've suffered a significant loss. But uh, once they've, when they've just suffered a loss, we need to bring their, bring them meals, uh, help them out with the things that they need to help with. My brother right now is dying of a brain tumor. Uh, in fact, then Jeannie and I, he lives in Arizona, and are going to make the three-hour, three-and-a-half-hour drive out to see him on Friday. Uh, but see, this is the body of Christ in action, uh, where we're going out. And, and thankfully, my brother's a Christian and believes he's going to be in heaven, which is a good, I mean, which is the whole point, actually. You've got it made if you believe you're going to be in heaven when you know you're dying, because he is dying. I don't expect him to live another six months for sure. Uh, but, but anyway, so we have an opportunity to love people and care for them. And Jesus even said when uh, regarding the judgment, Matthew 25, he says, you know, I mean, you visited me when I was sick. Uh, and, and they'll say to him, when did we visit you when you were sick? He says, when you did it to the least of these, you did it to me. Mm. And so we have a chance to be the body of Christ and to love people or hurting, but yeah, we do not want to be explaining uh, God's larger plan in the universe to these people when they've just suffered a loss. Mm, yeah. Uh, thank you. <laughs> I'm sorry for the loss of your brother. That's coming well, there. You he's care. a Christian. So it's, you know, I mean, if he wasn't a Christian, it would be horrifying, mm -hmm. frankly, to just sit there and go, my brother's dying and he's going to go to hell. Mm -hmm. uh, but my brother's dying and he's going to go to heaven. He's going to live forever and ever and ever and ever. And so anyway, so I, I, I'm good. It is still painful though. Don't get me wrong. It's, mm -hmm. it's very hard on my wife and I. It's hard on his wife. But uh, he's, uh, you know, 14 years older than me. But, you know, it's very hard on him. And mm -hmm. so anyway, it's, yeah. Mm. Well, praise God um, for him knowing him. Amen. Um, and thank you for that and for your work. Um, we'll do a little bit of Q&A here. We'll answer as many questions as we can. Um, and if you also want to send a super chat, that's always appreciated. Uh, we have Ryan Polly here. How's it going, Ryan? He says, um, would attaching all natural evil to moral evil require a young earth interpretation? Wow. Ryan Polly. Well, there you go. Hey, Ryan. Uh, I, I know Ryan was a student of mine back in the day. And mm -hmm. so anyway, uh, yeah, no, I, I, I don't think it requires a young earth uh, interpretation. As I said earlier, I think that animal death uh, is, is definitely, I, I, I don't, it's not clear to me that animal death is evil. As I said, Jesus ate fish after his, uh, in his post-resurrection body. So I don't think animal death is evil necessarily we'll we'll figure that out or you can take bill dembski's approach but no i don't i don't think that animal death is uh before the fall is necessarily even an evil uh, or if it is dembski's answer that he had to allow evil to occur because he knew the fall was going to occur uh either one works for me mm, yeah definitely uh, there's a lot of interesting uh pre-fall theodicies for like animal suffering and things like just things of that nature um a lot of great literature out there um this is not a question i missed the question uh from susan uh thank you for your question susan she says uh so does that mean that all children who are aborted or killed by their mothers are automatically saved referring to talking about just like um earlier about people being saved before they'd have like a knowledge of like choosing christ or not I think that that's entirely possible. Uh, and uh, I, I think you said your, her name was Susan. But anyway, I think that's entirely possible that they're all saved. And I th and most uh, Christian theologians, evangelical theologians, as I said earlier, and not just most evangelical theologians, but most uh, uh, evangelical Christian apologists like William Lane Craig think they are saved. And I think you can make the argument that they are saved, but the scripture doesn't guarantee it. So, yeah, I think that they're they're automatically saved. Because, you know, we're 
judged on our works. Uh, you know, I mean, we're saved by grace through faith, but we're judged by our works. Our works are going to be judged. And children haven't done any works over which they can be judged. Uh, I didn't really, I think, start having a real consciousness of what it meant to be good or evil until maybe I was 10 or 11. I, some people, some people get it earlier, some people get it later. Uh, but I, I think that, I think the children probably will be automatically end up in heaven. Uh, thank you. Uh, the next question here is from Dean, uh, the London theist. Uh, he says, um, what view of hell does Dr. Johns hold? Are you traditional annihilationism, universalism? I do know you spoke at the Rethinking Hell uh, a couple weeks ago. So curious on what you think. Well, yes, I did speak at that. I, I believe uh, in uh, the traditional view. I believe that people are going to suffer eternal torment. Uh, I, I do think that we need to, you know, I, I have a chapter on that in my book. Uh, how could it be fair for people to suffer eternal punishment? Uh, and, and I have a chapter on that in my book. I do think that, and I, and I could give an example if I need to, it's very close to home, but I, I think that it, there's a very real sense that the gates of hell are locked from the inside. Uh, that people don't want to worship God. I'll just give you a quick example of what I'm talking about. Jeannie and I were not able to have children, so we took and abused foster children. We had three preteen teenage girls living with us for several years at one time. Uh, we had the police at our house during that time seven times in two and a half years. Well, one of the girls ran away, uh, and we were just just. A, I think it's the only night where I really didn't sleep at all when I just, where I just couldn't sleep. I didn't sleep through the entire night, not even a bit the night she ran away. And um, anyway, uh, uh, a year later, she calls up crying to my wife and my wife says, I think I've thrown away my childhood, blah, blah, blah. And my wife says to her, why did you run away? And she said, because you wouldn't let me have a boyfriend. Mm. She was 12. Mm. Uh, but, and we actually offered for her to come back and live with us, but she wouldn't do it. Uh, she didn't want to submit to our rules. She wanted, it, but the point is, notice her being in charge of her own life, even if it resulted in her hurt. She had a, we had a nice room. I loved her. We played Nintendo together at a pool table in the garage. I had a jacuzzi in the backyard. We were trying to make the house a place that they would want to bring their friends. Uh, she ran away. Why? Because we wouldn't let her have a boyfriend at 12 years old. Notice the big point here. She would love rather live in basically on the street mm. and not have proper food and health care and whatnot. She'd rather do that uh, than have all of those things as long as she could make her own rules. And I really think that speaks uh, very well of the occupants of hell, that that's exactly uh, what their condition is going to be, that they're not going to want to be in heaven. C.S. Lewis writes a really great book, kind of exactly with what you're talking about here, called The Great Divorce. Yes, um, yes. Definitely worth reading in this topic. Uh, super chat uh, for the London Theist. Thank you so much for your support, Dean. Really appreciate you supporting the show. Uh, he says, thanks for a great chat. Uh, can Dr. Jones please recommend three books on the problem of evil? Well, of course, I recommend mine. Why does God <laughs> allow evil? Compelling answers for life's toughest questions. Uh, I, boy, I'll tell you, The Problem of Pain by C.S. Lewis. Lewis and I are pretty close in, in uh, our approach. Uh, uh, I think that I deal with some things that Lewis did not, but I think we're pretty close. So I think Lewis's book, The Problem of Pain, is just really good. Uh, and uh, I'm going to suggest something else that's going to seem odd, but I also get my book, Immortal, How the Fear of Death Drives Us and What We Can Do About It, because 
it's dealing with why people are the way they are <clears throat> and how they're trying to shape their lives in such a way. And it, it reveals their sinfulness in, in, in such a way that I think that's also helpful. If you want a strictly academic treatment, then John Feinberg's book, The Many Faces of Evil, uh, is very good. Uh, so there's four four books. Only only two of the four are mine. <laughs> I like it. Um, thank you for your super chat and thank you for answering, Dr. Jones. Um, Gavin Hurlman here has a little bit of a question. Uh, how do you answer um, often atheists bring up claim that God is a genocidal maniac for commanding the complete destruction of the, the canonized uh, Amalekites, etc.? Um, obviously, you're talking about this earlier being an interesting question to you. So, what's kind of like uh, your response to this question, Dr. Well, Jones? that's a great question. Uh, thank you, Gavin. And I'll tell you something. I uh, if you go to my blog in the claydjones.net in the resources section, you'll find an article entitled We Don't Hate Sin, So We Don't Understand What Happened to the Canaanites. Uh, it's about a seven or 8,000 word article on the Canaanites and the kinds of practices that they were engaged in. The, the Canaanites were not only that were they engaged in adultery and rampant incest, uh, but they were into bestiality and, uh, of course, homosexuality is an understatement and so on. In fact, we have a Canaanite epic poem that I mentioned in my article. Baal raped his sister uh, while she was in the form of a calf 77, even 88 times. Think of the significance of that. Their God raped his sister while she was in the form of a calf. So they combined rape, incest, and bestiality in the same act while she was in the form of a calf a lot. That's what they, you know, that's what the 77 to even 88 times is. And also I've written many blogs. I have a lot of posts. And if you go down to the bottom of my, my website, claydjones.net, you'll see, you can have the subjects. you can click Canaanites. I probably have 15 posts on the subject where I answer various questions related to that. Like why did God, you know, kill Canaanite children, uh, the women and children in uh, specifically and, so, and on and on. So this is an issue that I'm incredibly familiar with because what I decided to do when it came to studying the problem of evil is I was going to study every related problem. And that's a related problem because, and the, the way it relates to the problem of evil, if God is good, why does he command things that seem really bad? But I think God was entirely justified uh, in taking the lights, lives of the Canaanites because of widespread wickedness. I don't, there wasn't an innocent person among them unless you're going to appeal to small children. And small children, again, I think are short-circuited into heaven upon their death. Uh, so I don't have a problem with it, but I would be glad if you want to send me an email, I'd be glad to uh, address you more, address it more after you've read some of my stuff on it. Uh, I always <laughs> like people to you know, read. It's like, you know, I've written a lot on this, read the yeah. stuff. And then if you have a question, let me know. Yeah, that'd definitely be helpful. ClayJones.net is down below um, in case you guys need to find it that way. Uh, another question here from the London Theist. Uh, he says, uh, does Dr. Jones think demons are active in the world today? And if so, uh, why would God allow them to terrorize certain people? Really good question. Thank demons you. are active in the world today. Absolutely, positively, for sure. In fact, Satan, read Ephesians chapter 2, the first three verses. It says, Satan himself is at work in the sons of disobedience. He's at work in non-Christians right now. Uh, he <clears throat> free creatures. The you know it's kind of interesting because what the question really is about is why does God allow free creatures to hurt other free creatures? Mm -hmm. Well, Satan and his angels are free creatures, and he's allowing them to hurt other free creatures. Free cre and just like he lets us 
hurt other free creatures. We can molest people and we can even kill them. Uh, but this is because he's allowing freedom. But the big picture here is the not just the 35,000 foot view, but the, you know, the 300 million mile view or the 300 million light year view is because God's trying to reveal to us the horror of rebellion against him. And the judgment is going to be an amazing education. Children that are abused, um, whether it's by demons or whether by other people or whatever, all of this is going to come out of the judgment. People don't take seriously the judgment. Uh, yeah. If ever, There's about 7 billion people alive now, and there's about at least 7 billion people have been alive before now as a minimum estimate. That's 14 billion people. If every person was judged for only two, 10 minutes, that's 266,000 years. Now, I don't know how long the judgment's going to be. That's not the point. Uh, but the point is, it's going to be a long time. And we're going to see all of people's hearts and thoughts and everything's exposed. And, you know, my wife, by the way, uh, grew up in an abusive household. And I mean, really, really not good. Uh, but it's given her a depth of insight. And, and when she gets to heaven, that's not going to be an issue to her at all. So again, I really encourage all of you to focus on the fact that we're not, that human life, as Dallas Willard put it, is not about human life. That we're going to live forever and ever and ever and ever. And eternity will dwarf our suffering to insignificance. And and so it doesn't, you know, I mean, don't get me wrong, the abuse and the mistreatment that comes from humans or angelic powers is horrible. It's horrifying. But there, those angelic powers, by the way, are going to be judged too. Uh, in fact, the scripture says in 1 Corinthians 6, 3, that we Christians are going to judge angels. Uh, so that'll be interesting. And, and I'm sure there's going to be, it's going to be very interesting judging angels who have hurt uh, the innocent. Mm -hmm. Um, we have time for probably one more question uh, before we wrap up here. But we have a question uh, from Neil. Thank you for your question, Neil. He says, is free will necessary to get the fullness of virtues and fullness of love? Um, for example, if God became human, uh, as you believe in the person of Christ. Oh, I think it absolutely is. You know, people say, well, the, if wouldn't it have been better if the fall never happened, if Adam and Eve had never sinned? And I'm going to say something that's surprising. I don't think so. Mm. Uh, I think that, one, God, the Lord always knew. Uh, that Adam and Eve were going to sin. That was never a question. Uh, that's why the scripture says that the lamb was slain before the foundation of the world. In God's eyes, he knew Jesus was going to have to come and die. Uh, but think about, and I just encourage everybody to just think about what would happen if the fall hadn't occurred uh, and we were all just living in a garden, in a beautiful garden. One, we would not know how loving God is, would we? Because, because of the fall, we've been able to see the creator of the universe, sent his son to die on the cross for our sins. Mm. We wouldn't have had the opportunity to see that. That's a huge education for us, a very, very valuable education. And by the way, it's only when there's suffering that you have, and this is to Neil's question, that you have virtues like compassion. You only need to have compassion if somebody's suffering. If everybody's fine, you don't need to be compassionate. Selflessness. You don't need to have selflessness if, if nobody's lacking anything. Uh, you know, courage. You don't have courage unless there's something to be courageous against. It's bad. And so on. So in other words, uh, what the Lord has done is he's given us, an again, an education of the knowledge of good and evil. And this is eternally valuable and a very important knowledge. 
Uh, well, I just want to say that's about all the questions and about all the time we have for um, Dr. Clay Jones. Thank you so much for your time. Is there any kind of like last thoughts, things you want to say that you missed before we wrap things up here? Well, sure. Uh, there, There is one thing that I cannot emphasize enough, and that is, and, and I address, address this a little bit, but if Christianity is true, you're going to live forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. If that's not true, then Christianity is a false religion, and we should all be doing something else. We should all just get the biggest big screen TV we can and drink our brains out. Mm -hmm. uh, but if Christianity is true, you're going to live forever and ever and ever and ever. And if Christianity is true, eternal life is going to dwarf our sufferings to insignificance. And so I, I just can't. In 1 Peter 1.13, Peter said, being self-controlled and sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. For Peter, that, that wasn't three commands. That's one, what Peter is saying, be, being self-controlled and sober-minded so that you can set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. That what we need to do is be heavenly focused. And it's because Christians are so worldly focused and that our focus is on basically living the American dream. Because we're into living the American dream, uh, uh, you know, I mean, we're like, well, God's, God's not allowing me to live the American dream. He's not interested in that. What he's interested in is creating, causing us to become creatures that are going to live with him forever and ever and ever and ever and be able to reign over his kingdom, yet not sin. That's what he's looking for. And that's who we are. And that's what he's doing in us. But that takes suffering. And so I would just encourage everyone Focus on heaven. I'll leave you one more verse. Uh, Colossians 3, 1 through 4 says, If you've been raised with Christ, seek those things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above and not on earthly things, for you've died, and your life is hid with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, you will appear with him in glory. That's where we need to focus our minds. I encourage you to memorize those verses even, Colossians 3, 1 through 4, because if you do that, you're going to have a lot more joy and a lot more peace in this rather difficult world. Hmm. Well, thank you so much uh, for your time, Clay. I really appreciate everything uh, that you unpacked there. There's so much there. Um, and I, it's just it's just amazing how much content we got through in just about 50 minutes. There's so much there. Um, I would encourage everyone, if you're listening for the first time, thank you for tuning in. You can be sure to subscribe, leave a like, a review if you're listening via, via podcast. That's always appreciated. I want to say thank you to our supporters, as always, who make the show possible. If you enjoy the show, you can support us on patreon.com slash Apologetics. We're about 85% funded, so I appreciate everyone's support as that's going on. You can support us for just a few dollars a month if you don't. Appreciate that. Uh, but Clay, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. I'm sure everyone listening did as well. A pleasure to be with you, Zach. Thank you for having me. Yeah, and thank you 